If you're looking for something to do this May 30th through June 2nd, why don't you join us at CrimeCon in Nashville, Tennessee? We can all rub elbows with people like John Walsh, John Douglas, and Chris Hansen. Come and visit Murder in the Rain on Podcast Row, where we'll be sitting next to some of our own favorite podcasts. You can get 10% off your tickets by using code RAIN at checkout at CrimeCon.com. Murder in the Rain, where each week Emily Rowney, Alicia Holland, and Josh McCullough tell true crime stories of the Pacific Northwest. Murder in the Rain contains graphic content. Listener discretion is advised. Cassandra Marie Cantrell and her twin brother Robert were born on May 25, 1987, in Guam. She had another brother, Logan, and a sister, Ashlyn. Cassandra, Cass, or Casey, as she would go by, was loved by her family. Words like magic, wonder, creative, and bright light have been used to describe her. She loved music and laughter. Solo selfies, while beautiful, were rare. If it wasn't a photo of her with a pup, It was Cass with family and friends. As she got older and eventually found herself living in the Tacoma area of Washington, she leaned towards the unusual. She loved horror movies, theater, gothic literature, and the generally macabre. This was an interest she shared with her twin, Rob. They grew to love memorabilia and collectibles so much, they started making plans to open a store. Cassandra didn't care if someone found her too loud. She didn't care if she was unliked. She cared about being herself. Her interests and how she lived her life unapologetically made her stand out as unique and curious. That curiosity led her down numerous paths of interest. She wanted to lose herself in every sense and scenario so that she could learn how to find her way back. Her ability to learn about new interests led to hobbies like going thrifting. That interest led to Cassandra making haul videos on YouTube, which she fell in love with creating. For those unfamiliar, a haul video is when someone goes shopping then comes home and films themselves talking about each item, where they got it, and how much it was. Cass's videos usually focused on great deals around Tacoma. Even with something as simple as shopping, she wanted to help other people out. The haul videos were made at the home she shared with her mother, Marie. The two were very close, sharing the home along with Cass's chihuahua, Ruby. On 48 hours, Marie said, quote, She never really left home. She was always there. So we were really good friends. In addition to her haul videos, Cassandra had a love for the stage, eventually joining a troupe that would act alongside a showing of the Rocky Horror Picture Show. She happily played the part of Janet, originally portrayed by Susan Sarandon in the film. A sense of community was born from that troupe, as was a relationship between Cassandra and a fellow actor, Colin, also the show's director and lead tech. He played the narrating criminologist in the show. The pair really cared for each other, But in 2006, after just a few months of dating, the relationship was over. Colin moved on, dating and eventually moving in with Rebecca, another actor from the show. Cass moved on as well. 
It was known by friends and family that she was actively dating, even swiping on apps, though she had no active, serious relationship in August of 2020, when she disappeared. On the morning of August 25th, when Marie, Cassandra's mother, got up for work, everything in the home was as it should have been. Upon her return from work, Marie could see from the mess of makeup on their shared bathroom counter that Cass had been up and had gotten ready for the day. The strange thing was that she wasn't yet home. It wasn't a concern, merely unusual, and Marie wasn't worried as she knew Cass had plans that day to go out shopping. As the day cooled into night, the worry came because Marie still wasn't getting responses to her calls or texts to Cassandra. She briefly allayed her fear by reminding herself that her daughter was a grown woman who would be home when she got home. No biggie. The next day, the 26th, Cassandra had a very important appointment that only her mother and a friend, Alexandra, knew about. Cass had become pregnant, and the appointment was for her first ultrasound. Her friend was excited to go with her, which was why she texted Cass around 1.30 p.m., saying she was running about 15 minutes late. Cass didn't respond to that text, but Alex didn't think anything of it. She'd be seeing her soon. It was when Cassandra failed to show at the doctor's office that Alexandra began to panic. She called Cass's phone until the voicemail was full and then had no idea what to do for the rest of the day. She just waited. Going off the grid was completely out of Cassandra's character. Marie texted Alexandra, asking if Cassandra stayed with her the last couple nights, and she responded that she thought Cassandra had been at home. With that exchange, the real fear set in. Marie went to police to file a missing persons report. She said Cass had last been seen at 7 a.m. on the 25th as Marie was leaving for work. Neither she nor Alex had concerns regarding Cass's mental health or suicidal ideations. She had no history of alcohol or substance abuse issues. Cassandra was described as responsible, normal, and was always one to be in contact with her family. When asked about that prenatal appointment, Marie shared that her daughter was excited to learn she was pregnant and was greatly looking forward to being a mother. Though there was no boyfriend in the picture per se, Marie did tell the police about an ex-partner with whom Cassandra was still friendly, a Colin who lived in the area, the Rocky Horror criminologist himself. Mm. And let me just stop to say the character of criminologist in Rocky Horror Picture Show is only in the prologue and epilogue scenes, with just a page or so of dialogue. So Colin wearing that particular hat during production isn't really all that impressive. Yeah, it's like just gave him something extra to do yeah. once in a while. And he was doing other things on the show? Oh, yeah. So, yeah, he was the director. Oh, and the, and so the that's head. probably that why. Sense. The yeah. lead tech, yeah. But so that could, way he didn't have to I like commit. that he couldn't not be in it, though. That's, yeah. yeah, that's more what I mean. <laughs> yeah. Marie was well aware that Colin and Cass had somewhat rekindled their former relationship, going out to the movies or getting dinner. When police questioned Alex about the day of the appointment and the identity of the baby's father, she said she believed it was a man named Colin. Alex shared that Cassandra knew Colin didn't want children. He had voiced it to her throughout and since the end of their relationship. He went so far as to say that if he were to have a partner get pregnant and they refused to get an abortion, he would sue for full custody, just to spite them. That's incredibly effed up. Sounds like a good guy. Colin's feelings made Cass anxious to break the news. She almost didn't, happy to raise the baby alone. According to Alex, she eventually told Colin, and he responded more positively than expected. He was calm, told her not to worry, and that they would talk about it. 
Cassandra found out about the pregnancy with a positive home test back on July 16th. She was thrilled about the future. The shower, making a list of names, creating a gift registry. After the test confirmed it, she texted her best friend, I think I might be preggers. On July 29th, she had her first doctor's appointment. During the visit, Cassandra did tell the doctor the name of the baby's father, Colin Patrick Dudley. Additional notes showed that Cassandra didn't expect to become pregnant as she thought Colin had a vasectomy. She said the father was supportive of the pregnancy, but was not going to be involved in raising the child in any way. Even with his feelings towards the situation, Cass said she and Colin were on good terms. She was always the optimist, so she had to hold out hope that he might come around to the idea of being a parent. Detectives began conducting interviews and canvassing while her family waited and hoped. They had to tell themselves there was a reasonable explanation for her silence. Her car had broken down and maybe her phone was lost or dead. Maybe she was just trying to get back home from wherever she was. Starting with a neighborhood canvas, police asked around if anyone saw Cassandra the morning of the 25th or had seen her since or knew where she was currently. No one had those answers, but one neighbor had a security camera, which faced the street. Viewing the footage from July 25th, Cass's white Mazda sedan, with what looked to be Cass at the wheel, was seen leaving her neighborhood at 8.32 a.m. Hours and hours went by on the footage, but the car was never seen returning to her home. As detectives searched for clues, Cassandra's loved ones were looking for her, or at least a sign as to where she could have gone. Searchers said they had to stay focused on looking for small clues. They couldn't bring themselves to imagine they were out searching for a pregnant corpse. On the 28th, detectives stopped by Colin Dudley's home, which he shared with Rebecca. His ex was missing and pregnant with his baby, and his name had been mentioned multiple times. They wanted to hear what he had to say about the situation. However, when they arrived at his home, there was no answer, and they were resigned to leaving a business card. As the officers headed back to their car, a neighbor popped out and asked if they were there for Colin and Rebecca. They said they were, and the neighbor went on. Colin and Rebecca had moved into the neighborhood after buying that house about three years earlier. Nothing quite substantial, but it was a start. That evening, Colin returned home and found the business card. He called the detective and said he was happy to talk because he knew Cass, but since he hadn't seen or spoken with her in years, he wasn't sure he could be of any help. Arrangements were made for officers to come by his house the next day for an interview. Before that interview could take place, detectives got their first big break. Cassandra's white Mazda sedan had been found on the 200 block east of 25th Street. That area is very close to the Tacoma Dome, and the spot is covered by an I-705 overpass. The doors were found unlocked, and the keys were tossed in the center console. After a thorough check, the vehicle seemed not to contain any evidence relevant to the case. During the few days her daughter was gone, Marie went through all the physical copies of their phone bills to see if they held any clues. She called in to report that she had found several calls and texts sent to an unknown, unsaved number on the 19th. When Marie read off the number, the detective recognized it as the one provided by Colin Dudley. We all knew. We knew. Investigators were issued a warrant for Colin's phone records. They showed that he had actually been in contact with Cassandra at that phone number since February. Detectives now had a lot more information going into the interview with Colin. Standing on his front porch, 
Colin told the detectives about how he and Cass had met at the Rocky Horror production and that they dated for a few months. He claimed their last contact was in 2010 or 11 when he bumped into her while she was working in the mall. At the time, Colin was working as a professional chef. Detailing his schedule, he said he was off on the 25th, but he had spent that day running errands, primarily going to Costco to get cleaning supplies for his home. Yet one purchase in particular stood out. A box of 50-gallon trash bags. Mm -hmm. Detectives then brought up Cassandra's 10-week pregnancy and that friends and family had reported to police that Colin was the father. To that he said, no, no way, hell no. When asked if maybe he was forgetting a hookup or a one-night stand, he stood firm saying, no, absolutely not. Asked why those people, including the mother of the baby, would say it was him, he said he had no clue. Now that detectives knew Colin had been in contact with Cass, at least via the phone, they asked if he would be surprised if this number came up on her history. He said it wouldn't surprise him, but it just shouldn't be there. Confirming his phone number, it matched the one found on Cass's record. Mm-mm. Leaving the interview, police took Colin's phone with them. At what year? This was recent, yes? This is in 2020. Oh my. Okay, at this point, the phone is going to know. What are you doing? You think that getting a different number is going to be... I know. Be... Where have you been all decade? <laughs> yeah. Like, well, that's literally goofy. every case. <laughs> Why not just say, oh, we had been talking, but was it I a... don't know what happened to her. Was it like a track phone and he thought he could get away Probably. with it? Probably. I saw it on Breaking Bad. <laughs> <laughs> I believe there was something with the Long Island guy that he used burner phones and they were able oh, to figure it out. Yeah, that's so... how he made contact with the, with yeah, the people so... that were murdered. Yeah. Hey, guys. The cops are going to trace your phone. Stop killing people. Yeah. They, there's a little dot that goes everywhere on a map that you go <laughs> when it go. Especially if you have Google, because nobody knows yeah. how to turn those settings off. Yeah. At five days missing, there was another break in the case. After finding her car near the Tacoma Dome, police canvassed the area for surveillance video. By a stroke of luck, her car had been parked on a street shared with Tacoma's T-Line light rail system. The streetcar had a dash cam, essentially, which recorded all during its daily route. Scouring the video, detectives located footage from the streetcar's point of view that showed Cassandra's car. In an astounding piece of luck, they could see a man get out of the car and walk away from it just as the camera glides by. The subject was wearing a hat, something akin to a fedora or trilby, and blue gloves. He looked to be about six feet tall and 280 pounds which matched Colin's physical description. The footage was from the morning of the 25th, after Cassandra in her car could be seen on her neighbor's security camera. Connecting a digital puzzle of surveillance video, police were able to trace the man's path. He was seen walking across the street and light rail tracks before reaching the Tacoma Dome station and taking a seat at a bench to catch his breath. It was 11.50 a.m. He then gets up and starts walking again. It's 11.54 a.m. In that footage, it's obvious the person's gloves are the latex kind, the disposable blue latex kind. Never a good sign. In public, yeah, no. As if the trilby wasn't enough of a... Yeah, unless someone's tattooing or actively doling out weed to sell. (laughs) (laughs) As he lopes across the camera's view, his gait rang a bell in the minds of investigators. It was very similar to the way Colin moved around. 
It's him. Can you guys tell that it's him? Yeah. I don't know. <clears throat> I'm keeping an open I mind. I did have a feeling when his name came up early on in the conversation <laughs> the that time. we might be going down an investigative rabbit hole. Continuing to connect videos, they were able to follow him into the Tacoma Dome parking garage, just a few blocks from Cassandra's Mazda. Checking all camera angles from the garage, they were able to get a perfect view of the Chevy Colorado truck Mr. Blue Gloves drove away as well as its license plate. Running the plate, it was confirmed that the truck belonged to... I don't know. Who could it be? Colin Dudley. Uh, oh, my I'm God. shocked. Working backwards, the truck was seen arriving at the garage at 8.15 a.m. that morning. When it got there, there was a bicycle laying in the bed of it. As the man, believed to be Colin, parked, he got out and took the bike out of the back. He then rode off, leaving the truck until his return three hours later. The investigators' thoughts moved from let's find Cassandra to let's find out what Colin did to Cassandra. Speaking with friends of Colin, they learned he regularly hosted a game night in his basement. Colin was the dungeon master when he and his friends played Dungeons & Dragons. M, you're a D&D player? A very new one. Uh, but you can you could probably kind of give a rundown of what a dungeon master is, right? Yeah, a dungeon master moderates the game for you. So they're the ones telling the story while everyone is playing. So they're going to set up the scene. They prepare the game. So I think, I mean, one thing to, I guess, put out there if you're not familiar, they put in a lot of work. So my friend Renee is a dungeon master and she created maps. She had a playlist. She brought mead. Like she really set the scene for the group. And then she tells the story and sets it up like you're in a pub and here, you know, you're in this. This is the problem. You got to find out if this guy, you know, was a thief or whatever. And she moderates the entire time. So she also positions like, what do you want to do? Do you want to ask this person for information? Do you want to start a fight? Like she really okay. sets up the whole game and kind of guides you through it. So they're very knowledgeable um, since we were all new players, she also helped us with understanding which dice to use, um, what the points meant. Like she really was educating us along the way. That's very cool. That sounds fun. From what I'm hearing, it sounds like given this guy's history of being a director and maybe in control of things, it wouldn't be surprising that he's a dungeon master. No, because they like, yeah, they like to set the scene, control it. With the players, they kind of help you if you're creating your character. Mm -hmm. They're going to help you with like, okay, here's your squad. Like, we might need someone who's an elf. Mm -hmm. We might need a wizard. Um, so like Renee helped us kind of build our personas too. So that's not surprising. Mm. People who are actors are or in theater are well suited for Dungeons and Dragons because that's really fun. Like, I loved building my background and with it my caused, character. And it caused for like some imagination and creativity Absolutely. and all of that. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for your insight. Anytime. Going through Colin's phone, detectives found a name that appeared often and had for a while. The number connected to the contact listed as Velma was actually Cassandra. She had sported the Scooby-Doo character as a Halloween costume a few years prior. He not only liked the outfit, but didn't want Rebecca to see the name Cassandra showing up in his call and text logs. Knowing Velma was actually Cassandra, they looked at the interactions between the two. The most recent text from Cass to Colin was at 8.49 a.m. on August 25th. Just 17 minutes after being seen on camera leaving her home, she had texted him, I'm a bit early, that okay? He responded with, yep, come on down, which one could assume 
meant the basement slash gaming room. While those texts were found on the phone records, they had been manually deleted from Colin's phone. That son of a bitch. They'll never find out. I was just reading something today, I don't know why, about something about social media, and that they can, like, see your messages. I didn't know that they could, like, look at your messages, oh, yeah. your Instagram stuff. That Everything was like, is locked. My knowledge is that they know everything. I they mean, I do. just assumed, I just never thought about it. They I, do. Yeah, wow. Because you can subpoena, like, Snapchat, and they even keep the photos, even though they disappear for us. They Ooh. keep everything. Hear that, everybody? And I'm always No like, funny business. His phone had actually been turned off from 9.56 a.m. on the 25th until 10.30 a.m. He only turned it on to make two calls. One was to his security company, ADT. The other was to call his partner, Rebecca, to tell her not to freak out. Their security cameras were down because the power was out. And it can be assumed that he had called ADT to have them turned off. Again, like, does he think no one can get that information? Or that he wouldn't be questioned just in general because of their past relationship? I guarantee if they are like, oh, you have ADT. I'm going to get a subpoena. Mm-hmm. I'm going to call them and they're mm-hmm. going to tell me exactly what time mm-hmm. you called and what, and what you wanted. You said, like, yeah. Here's a record. Here's a, here's a record. Oh, yeah. We have a digit. Yeah. Yes. Every oh, call. Good Lord. Yeah. What a dummy. The ego. I'm in control, so no one will know what I'm doing. He's the dungeon master. Mm-hmm. He controls the fate of all. With Mother's Day around the corner, are you thinking about a truly special gift for your mom or the motherly figure in your life? Let me tell you about mylifeinabook.com. It's a unique service that turns your mom's life stories into a beautiful book. Pretty cool, right? Here's how it works. Every week, mylifeinabook.com will send your recipient a question via email. These can be pre-written questions about, for example, your mom's life or any custom questions that you want to ask. And then she can either type her response or record her voice. And mylifeinabook.com compiles all of her responses into a beautiful keepsake book. And guess what? They can even create an audiobook using her voice recordings. It's like preserving her voice and her stories forever. Imagine discovering stories about her youth, adventures, and the challenges she overcame. This book becomes a legacy, something you and future generations can treasure forever. Your mom's given you a lifetime of stories. This is your chance to give her a way to share them. Obviously, we love anything surrounding storytelling. It's what we do. So to be able to gift this to my mom, to not only hear her stories, but the stories of my grandparents and other family members, it will create a cherished gift for all of us to enjoy. Check out mylifeinabook.com and use the code RAIN at checkout for 10% off. Create an unforgettable gift for your mom this Mother's Day. That's mylifeinabook.com and use the code RAIN for 10% off today. Armoire makes getting dressed easy. With a clothing rental membership from Armoire, build the perfect wardrobe with brands that are high quality, unique, and recommended just for you. All you have to do is take a five-minute style quiz and select items from your dynamic, personalized closet. The styles show up to your door in as little as two days. And when you're ready for new clothes, just swap them out and choose more styles. Like many of you, my personal style has evolved over the years. But if I want to try something new, sometimes it's hard to know what pieces will work for me. 
rather than going to the mall for hours or spending too much money on pieces I might not like, Armoire allows me to rent high-quality designer clothes for any occasion. I can try styles I never considered before without worrying about the store's return policy, like a pair of faux leather pants for my new band. Of course, all of this sounds great, but what's even better is that it's a woman-founded business. You benefit from finding the perfect outfits, all while supporting a business that was built by women just like us. Right now, our listeners can give Armoire a try and get up to 50% off their first month. That's up to $125 off. Just visit armoire.style slash murder in the rain. That's armoire.style, A-R-M-O-I-R-E dot style slash murder in the rain, one word, to get up to 50% off your first month and never worry about what to wear again. Try Armoire today. For the last few years, there's been an uptick in promoting self-care, and for good reason. It's so important for people to take care of themselves so that they are at their healthiest before they take care of others. This could be in the form of taking a walk, getting a pedicure, or making quiet time to read a book. For me, it's skincare. As I get older, the more I invest in my skincare routine. If only I could convince 16-year-old Emily to stay away from the tanning booth. But I can make up for how I treated my skin back then because I found protocol. I've been using protocol for several weeks and I'm loving it. What's their secret? They use a special form of retinol that was previously uncaptured by science. It's made from the same ingredient that gives bell peppers and carrots their color and is estimated to be 20 times more powerful than regular retinol. 92% of users see results in 14 days. Whether you're looking for a new serum or hydration cream or need an entire skincare system, Protocol has you covered, and it's risk-free because they offer a money-back guarantee. What's better than that? Well, Murder in the Rain listeners get 25% off with a discount code. Go to protocol-lab.com and use code MURDERINTHERAIN25 to claim your discount now. That's P-R-O-T-O-C-O-L-L-A-B.com and use code MURDERINTHERAIN25 with no spaces. Cross-referencing his phone information with what they could retrieve of Cass's, even without the physical phone, forensic examiners found she had left her home the morning of the 25th. Both Cass and Colin's phones then pinged off the same tower, showing to be in the same general area until 11.40 a.m., when he turned his phone off. But he had forgotten to turn off her phone. Her phone appeared to leave Colin's residence around 11.40 a.m. It then pinged in the area where the car was later found. The phone left the area at 11.58 a.m., and traveled to Point Defiance Park, and specifically Owen Beach. There, the phone data ceased. It had either been turned off or thrown into the water. With the new location to search, police checked video surveillance for Point Defiance Park, a place Emily spoke about in her episode, Point Defiance. Remember that, Em? I do. It's a cursed place. Who was also, that? Was that Kimberly? Who was that? No, that was the two two little girls. And we brought it up again when in my recent episode, Mud and Blood. Oh, yeah. We mm-hmm. expanded a little bit and, and touched on that case as well. I mean, it's a big park and it is uh, one the whole, pl- you know, everyone in town goes to pretty often. So I'm not surprised. It's kind of brought up in multiple cases. Looking at it other places where it would be good to do to like you could see it attracting people who yes. would be disposing of it's something or doing something forest- nefarious. Yeah. yeah, it's forested. There are some pa- long paths. Like one of the little girls 
she would ride that path as she was training for a bike race. So it's, mm. you know, you're not going to. And gonna, it's like right on the water, right? It is yeah. parts on the water. There's wooded parts. There's little, um, I think there's like a rose garden. Like there's lots of places where you could easily be alone. Detective Franz Helmke, the lead on the case, then used Google Earth to make an arc, showing where the phone, presumed to have been tossed in the waters of the Puget Sound, may have landed. Searchers and investigators gathered at Owen Beach. They then threw rocks into the water to further limit their search range. With assistance from the Metro dive team, an underwater search was scheduled. Often a daunting task, the search team got very lucky that day. Not only was the tide incredibly low, but the waters were clear, which, as Alicia can attest to, is not always the case. That's true. Emily, we were just talking about you're getting your scuba certification. Yeah, I was going to say, and soon I'll know. <laughs> I did two scuba certifications up at Puget Sound. One was wonderful. The other was terrifying with zero visibility. Like, you and, couldn't see your hand in front of you. And that's face. why I wasn't going to do it here, and I was going to do it on my vacation. We but... did do it in a horrible time of year, though. So, in all fairness, I believe it was early spring. So, oh. don't do it. Go in the summer. That's right. Instead of a grid of searchers tromping through the woods, a line of snorkelers went out into the water. Holding a literal line, they were shoulder to shoulder, looking down, hoping for a break. It only took an hour before one of the divers hollered out. They had found the phone. That's nuts. I love that. See, that, but that's what science, math, and some mm -hmm. good hard work will get you. Actual detective work. Yay. Throwing rocks. Yeah, there's a, a photo that'll be in the in the blog of the actual phone underwater when they when they found it. And it's just the clearest picture you've ever seen. It's, That's wild. It's, it's really cool. Yeah. For investigators, it made no difference that the phone was ruined. If they needed to spend the time, money and effort to retrieve its data, it was doable. Of more concern was connecting its movements to Collins. And now that they had retrieved the phone, it seemed very likely Colin had tossed it into the water. On September 1st, the SWAT team arrived at Collins' home. Detectives acquired a search warrant based on two theories. Either Cass was being held against her will in Collins' basement, or that it contained proof of him killing her there. The SWAT team searched the house. That's when investigators learned Colin and Rebecca had separate areas of the house, and Rebecca wouldn't have gone into the basement. The team went through the house, even using cadaver dogs to search for remains. There was interest in the basement, especially a brown sofa but nothing solid. There were also areas believed to have been positive for blood, which they collected as evidence. A hat was collected that matched the one seen in the video, and his truck was seized. This guy's a real brainiac. Yeah. Searching continued as Colin was detained and fingerprinted at the station. He then stopped cooperating with investigators. There was no reason for him to say anything. Since there was no proof of any wrongdoing and no body to prove murder, Colin was released. Ugh, that is the worst. I mm -hmm. bet they I bet they all hate it so much. I'd be like, I'm just going to follow him home. I mean, I'm sure somebody did. <laughs> I would have. When asked if she felt Colin was capable of hurting Cass, Colin's girlfriend, Rebecca, was interviewed as well. When asked if she felt Colin was capable of hurting Cass, she took a 13-second pause before saying, Physics would say yes. Oh. He's got the size and strength on her. I don't think he would. No. He would not. Um, so that, the question is, is he physically capable? I mean, isn't it kind of implied they mean I think the capability, yeah, the yeah. capability is do you think he could do that? 
that's a really weird way to answer it. And 13 seconds, that's a long time. That's a long time. But then again, you're somebody's life is at risk, right? Or two people at this point. Right. So you and if do you want love to think him, about what you say. And that would be hard if someone was asking me about Josh. That would be really hard to say because on one, anyone is capable of anything. But on the other, if it's, oh, my gosh, what I say could put him in jail, that would be really scary. But I think that is implied that you're anyone is right. So mm-hmm. it's has he shown signs? Right. I don't know if they need to be more specific or what. Detectives then learned a fun fact about Colin. He had, for years, demanded he be referred to as Hatman or Hat. No. Very clever names. No, 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 no. And this came from him wearing a hat. What? He, He didn't wear them constantly, but when he put on his snazzy little fedora... His persona of Hatman would emerge. Gross. What exactly was this persona? It was inspired by the abhorrent behavior of the character Alex in the film and novel A Clockwork Orange. Oh boy. Which is like the main Malcolm McDowell character. They they break into houses, they beat people. I think there's There's a very violent rape. Yeah, it's awful. He's a very bad person. They love milk. (laughs) On the list of disgusting It's gross in the movie. British milk? You know what temp that's at? God damn it. Also, I have to assume his hat man persona because of the clockwork orange connection came with a horrible British accent. Of most importance was finding Cassandra. Detectives felt by this time they were searching for her body. So to track the location of the likely murder, had Colin been the perpetrator, they needed to map his movements on the 25th beyond what they had gathered from video footage near the Tacoma Dome. The first thing Colin said he had done was to get gas, which he did at a Costco at 6.30 a.m. This was confirmed via Costco's surveillance. He then went into Costco for those cleaning supplies. Strangely enough, it was a different Costco location from the one where he had purchased gas. Again, he was caught on video leaving with the bottles of bleach and large garbage bags. He returned to his house to drop off the supplies and was then seen arriving at the Tacoma Dome with the bike and riding off. If Cass was a little early at 8.50, they were probably planning on meeting up at 9. From the Tacoma Dome, it would be about a 20-minute bike ride to Colin's home. He rode off at a quarter past 8 and must have barely beaten her back to the house. That is some premeditation. I'm going to go park my truck and make sure I bring my bike so I can bike home so I have my truck later when I leave her car. That's gross. His phone then stayed in the area for two hours before powering off. Perhaps he left her phone on thinking it would make it look like she'd been out and about all day, but that didn't go as planned. This then connected back to the video of her car. It was believed by detectives that from 9 a.m. until nearly noon, Colin had been killing Cassandra and trying to move her body, which would have been exhausting. After putting her body in the Mazda, he drove her remains somewhere and dumped the body. Colin then parked the car, walked away, and finally stopped to sit and catch his breath. Thus far, technology had been the savior of this case. Thanks to most businesses and many homes having cameras, police could trace Colin's steps. But that still wasn't enough. That's when they started examining his truck. Cars today are more computer than horse and come equipped with what equates to an airplane's little black box. This little box stores information about every little thing your vehicle has ever done. Speed, brakes, miles, direction, everything and Tacoma PD were in possession of Collins. They rolled a 20 on that one. 
Suck it, Dungeon Master. That was a really good analogy. Thank you. <laughs> I love that. The data was deciphered. It showed the truck had driven near the Chambers Bay Wastewater Treatment Plant at 6 a.m. on August 26th. The truck came to a stop in a wooded area across from the plant and remained stationary for about 10 minutes. It then left the area and returned to Collins home. The moment detectives learned of this, on September 22nd, they booked it to the scene. Detective Franz Helmke stood overlooking the edge of a wooded ravine. Peering down, he saw a large plastic garbage can, looking like it had been tossed down the hill. Garbage bags and rope were scattered around its landing spot. Helmke immediately called in a team to search the ravine and retrieve a body if necessary. They found blood. They found a body. As Helmke watched the searchers check the area, one of the examiners walked up the hill and showed the detective an image of a tattoo on the body. It was the George Bernard Shaw quote, You don't stop playing because you grow old. You grow old because you stop playing. Helmke had been working closely with the family. He knew a lot about Cassandra, and he knew that was her tattoo. Being close to the family, he wanted to be the first to break the horrible news before they found out otherwise. Twin brother Rob was in the other room when his mother Marie received that devastating call. He heard his mother scream out and he knew. They'd found Cassandra. That night, Colin was arrested and charged with first-degree murder. It is nice that they catch him because so many families just mm-hmm. don't know, you know, for years. Yeah. But, and that they found her. Yeah. And it was all thanks to the guy that did it. Yeah. Pretty cool. Yeah. He's like, hey, guys, I have all this information and all my technology for thanks, you. Thanks, Hat Did Man. you want to use it? <laughs> From a victim impact statement by Colin's friend and fellow gamer, Stephen Ammon. After his house was raided and searched for evidence, we had one final D&D game there. He told us to roll up new characters as he was going to make a new campaign. We had started an evil campaign at the start of the pandemic with the intention of playing evil characters as a stress-free game where we could slaughter our way through consequences and not worry about them. Before the murder, it was a fun campaign. Colin, however, said he was ending it early because it hit too close to home currently. Isn't that sick? Yeah. That was one of the last things I found, and that was, like, chilling to read that. Cassandra Cantrell's body was skeletonized due to advanced decomposition. There was no way to confirm if she had been pregnant because of the lack of soft tissue surrounding her chest, neck, abdomen, and pelvis. The autopsy did show that she had been a victim of homicidal violence, cause of death being multiple skull fractures. The blood samples collected from the floor, walls, laundry room sink, and a stainless steel table in Colin's basement were a match to Cassandra. At his first hearing, Colin pleaded not guilty. For two years, thanks in no small part to the COVID backlog, Cass's family waited and waited. All they wanted was to get to trial and show the world Colin's cruelty and ugliness. To show the proof that, without a doubt, he had killed their beloved Cassandra. Her family finally got some news in November of 2022. The state had decided to offer Colin a plea deal. Her family and friends were in disbelief. This man had gone shopping for cleaning supplies. He had planned this. He waited for his day off before luring her over to talk about the subject everyone knew made him most upset, becoming a parent. How could they offer a deal to the man they alleged had not only lured Cass to her death, but hit her car, threw her phone into the sound to cover his tracks before going home and repeatedly cleaning the basement. He did so with items he had purchased as part of his murder plan. 
It was also believed he had left Cassandra's body in the basement overnight before dumping her off the ravine. During that time, his partner Rebecca had been in the home, sleeping right above the bludgeoned corpse of her boyfriend's pregnant ex. Because she had been in the house, some thought, just for a second, Rebecca may have been involved or had some knowledge of the killing. After being interviewed on multiple occasions, it was clear she had nothing to do with it and was just another victim of the hat man. As for the reasoning of the plea deal, the state said that while they had a lot of evidence, it was almost all circumstantial. They were still lacking a murder weapon, eyewitnesses, and a confession. So there was a chance, a small one, that a jury wouldn't believe Colin had been responsible for Cass's murder, hence the plea deal. At least it would nail him for first-degree murder. Since his only other criminal offense was for driving with a suspended license in 2007, and with the plea removing some aggravating circumstances, it left him with a sentence of 26 years. If he, as we have seen so often, is released on good behavior, he could be out as soon as 2044, when he'll be in his early 60s. To make up for what they feel is a lack of justice, Cassandra's family is hoping to create a new law that would force a life sentence on anyone found guilty of knowingly killing a pregnant person. Cassandra's twin brother Rob was devastated at the loss of his sister, especially since their last phone conversation was a sibling argument about him going over to her house on the 25th. Finding out his sister was pregnant that day may have changed things. He still regrets not doing so, as maybe he could have helped her or stopped her from going to Collins. To honor his sister, Rob opened Pacific Northwest Gaming and Collectibles in Maryville, Washington. Cassandra's image hangs in a window, showing her surrounded by some of her favorite characters. The mural and the store are in honor of Cass. And it's just a short drive to Cassandra's grave, a place Rob and their mother Marie often visit to say hello, make sure it's tidy, and leave flowers. The mural in the store displays the same quote from the tattoo initially used to identify Cassandra's body. Marie can't help but think about all the sweet plans Cassandra had for her life, what adventures and joy motherhood would have brought her, all of the could-have-beens. Marie will also miss the little things, like how Cass liked to surprise her, and the way she would bring such a happy presence with her everywhere. Those are the things she'll miss the most. The plea deal wasn't the end for the family, or for Colin. They are suing him for the wrongful death of Cassandra. That case will be going to trial this August, three years after the murder. There is also a GoFundMe in place, raising money for the funeral and legal costs, and for a bench the family hopes to place in a rose garden, in Cassandra's honor. The Cantrell family was in the news again in 2022, when they protested the sale of what they deemed the murder house, where Colin had lived and allegedly killed Cassandra. It is currently off the market. And I have a few stats here regarding intimate partner violence. From nationalpartnership.org, more than one-third of women report psychological aggression by an intimate partner, and nearly 20% report sexual violence by an intimate partner during their lifetime. In addition, financial or economic abuse occurs in 99% of cases where other forms of IPV are also present. Early evidence indicates that cases of domestic violence have increased and become more severe during the coronavirus pandemic. Many women report that abuse started or intensified when they became pregnant. Each year, an estimated 324,000 pregnant people in the United States are battered by their intimate partners. IPV during pregnancy can hurt both maternal and infant health. Black, indigenous, and other people of color 
suffer the impact of IPV disproportionately, particularly considering that these communities tend to have less access to the care and resources that would prevent, mitigate, and remedy the effects of IPV. Uh, over-policing and systemic mm. racism. And I'm sure funding for oh, certain yeah. neighborhoods yep. to get things in place. But hey, take away abortion rights. 45% of black women and 48% of indigenous American Indian and Alaska Native women report IPV in their lifetime. Figures which are respectively almost 20 and 25% higher than the rate reported by non-Hispanic white women. Pregnant women in the United States are more than twice as likely to be murdered during pregnancy or shortly after childbirth than they are to die from the three main medical causes of maternal death associated with childbirth, research shows. The majority of the homicides of pregnant women in the U.S. are at the hands of an intimate partner with a firearm. And this is a quote from the obituary for Cassandra that's posted online. Childhood was spent blending reality and dreams, making Casey singular and a bright light of creativity. She cherished the strange and unusual, gravitating towards gothic tales, vintage styles, and sometimes the macabre. Casey grew into a woman who was herself strange and unusual, in the most delightful way. She was vintage, she was retro, she was classic. Casey was an endless surprise. She was happiness, she was wondrous dreams, and she will be endlessly missed. For Casey, every moment spent pregnant became the new best moment of her life. She took to it like a bird to the sky, and would have taught her children about all the important things. She would tell them when you believe in a thing, believe in it all the way, implicitly and unquestionably. They would have had the courage to be their own wholly unique selves because they would have learned from the best example. When they came home at night and sang their do 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 echoes from Goodnight Sweetheart, you know the song? Mm-hmm. Good night, yeah. Do 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 Is that do, it? Do, 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 do. Just as case Yeah. Well, it's time. Sorry. Uh, just as Casey and Robert had done as children, they would feel it. They would look at her with their child wonder and know they were home. Casey was braver than she believed, stronger than she seemed, and smarter than she thought. She knew that it is a happiness to wonder. It is a happiness to dream. On August 25th, 2020, Casey's dream on Earth abruptly ended, and her dreams in the Summerland began. And the Summerland is like a, a pagan afterlife. Ah. Yep. There's also a video tribute that was posted online for Cassandra. It's like 15 minutes long and it's photos from her entire life set to music. It's really beautiful. And at the end, uh, the last song they're playing is Goodnight Sweetheart. And it fades out over a picture of Cassandra in an airplane. She's looking out the window and it fades out. And then it cuts to video of Cassandra on her couch. She's facing the camera. I think it's one of her haul videos. And she's like holding a, an old school roller skate. And it's, it's unrelated to anything, you know, but, but in it, she says, I hope this helps. Thanks for watching. Bye. And then it ends. Oh, and so like this little yeah. piece of footage became like a, a little, uh, like a, a bittersweet, a bittersweet farewell for, for her. Yeah. That was quite moving to watch that. I also felt kind of, it felt kind of invasive. Well, unfortunately, I'm not surprised by the statistics that you shared. It's shocking that non-white people, I mean, not shocking, it's never shocking anymore, but that it's double. And I also think of how many cases of things that aren't reported or deemed that same level, you know, so the numbers are so much higher. Oh, they're much higher. And the fact that being pregnant 
is so dangerous. Well, in our health care system right now, it's incredibly dangerous to be pregnant, especially if you're a woman of color, let alone the fact that being pregnant could get you killed. And how that's not on the same level at this point of a hate crime or, you know, I know it can have aggravating circumstances or some states they say, you know, it's a double homicide, that kind of thing. But to not have more things in place at this point. Well, and experts are talking about we're going to see a spike because uh-huh. of states mm-hmm. disallowing abortion access. Yeah. We're going to see a spike in these types of scenarios. Yeah. If I am in an abusive relationship that I can't financially get out of or for whatever reason and I get pregnant and I know that he will be aggressive about that and I can't go take care of that, it could be a death sentence and has been and will continue to be. It's just wow. Thank goodness the FDA. I don't know if you heard, I think today or yesterday, they approved an over the counter birth control. Yeah, I think that was today. Yeah, but which is how many states are going to not allow that sale? Well, it's going to take some work. They're going to have to go to court. Not that that matters. But anyway, hopefully for a while, some people can get their hands on it that otherwise wouldn't and can at least keep some of these things from happening because it's awful. It is awful. It's awful to think that. By forcing some women to carry their baby to term, we're giving them a death sentence Mm -hmm. uh, in a lot of these cases. And this guy, she literally has said, it's okay if you're not involved. You don't have to be the dad. Yeah, she wasn't expecting anything. She She could have had her life with her mom raising the baby. I mean, she had that that positive spin on it, which he might have taken as she's not going to let me not be part of yeah. the baby's life. And but. and just the control. It's almost not even about being pregnant, but just the control, because she could have told the girlfriend that she was pregnant with his child oh, or yeah. she could have done something, you know, asked for child support. And that would have blown up his life. I've got to have. Oh, control. I'm sure that was part of his decision. It's a baby. What are you so scared of? They're just a wad of meat with a diaper. Chill out. Like, you don't have to be the dad. Just walk away. It's fine. Waddle away. Hmm. Yeah, I look uh, like I'm covered in Pam cooking oil, cooking spray. (laughs) (laughs) Very sweaty. Me too. I'm sure my linen pants are gonna have oh. some darker spots when oh. I stand up. Oh, from the from the sweat, not the whole from the in between the cheeks. cheeks area. It's macabre. <laughs> <laughs> I believe it's macabre. Uh, I accidentally made it scroll like several pages. Oh, um, I've done that shush, shush. in a live show. I'm not gonna. <laughs> 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 oh, the one in wa- the one I wasn't there for in Washington. Yeah. <laughs> that one was so. F- I was like. The f- it was like I j- was just born and I'd never done anything before. It was so funny. <laughs> I literally prepared for every scenario and yet I fucked up. Like I, I, I thought it was funny. Like it was baby. very funny. I don't mess with that jive anymore. Unapologetic. <laughs> That's the name of the episode. Uh, can you take a breath and... Spread your cheeks. (laughs) (laughs) Sure can. We know we can smell. Oh my God! (laughs) (laughs) Poop pants! Poop pants! Poop pants!
poopy pants. Classic poopy pants. I'm already getting bad bad vibes. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Just wait till you hear about well, everything else. <laughs> the entire <laughs> the entire wait case. Wait till I tell you the case, the Just story. Wait for the story a few the moments and I'll resume it. <laughs> Stop interrupting me. <laughs> it's a me 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 me. It's hot. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Silence. I like to redo my clicks. Emily, do you want me to do another one now that you interrupted me? Sure. I'll do it. Go ahead, but don't do it in the mic. I didn't mean to. <laughs> you got frap mouth. Oh, the time hit the scariest day of his life. Yeah. And yes, I that's thinking, a classic blooper. You've never been <laughs> pregnant or something. Mm-hmm. It was the worst day of my life, but I just took it. Oh. And then it, well, there was no baby. So. Wait, you took the test? There no, might be no. a baby. I just. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that was funny. Took me a minute. <laughs> I bought it. I figured I should take it. <laughs> Great news, honey. honey we're not pregnant. Not pregnant. Mm-hmm. I pissed all over this thing. <laughs> Several times. Somebody's had to have done that. Absolutely. Too many idiots in the world. <laughs> Having babies. I'm, it was it was further it was further. I'm sorry. <laughs> I guess I should get something that goes like, slight eh, lot, not or as just loud. Hold your down by your leg. I did or something. it. I did it, and then I didn't do it. I had it behind my tablet pa- and didn't work. You might as well just scream hole in the cheeks to us. <laughs> We'd well, it's not a it. hole in the cheeks. It's a hole at the center of the cheeks. Oh, if there's a hole in the cheeks, you've been skewered. Dear Liza, dear Liza. <laughs> well, my, my, my whole face is sweaty. Knees work. <laughs> Mom spatter spaghetti. This is white ma- Mazda. <laughs> <laughs> Who's Canadian I now? I Mazda. <laughs> Mazda, I have some pasta in my Mazda. Standing on his front porch. 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 My porn porch. Oh. That's where I look at my nudies. That's a huge bitch. No, that. That. Hey guys. You learned from Josh. But it was funny. Come on. You it saw was. that line and you were like, "What would Josh do?" He That's would right. Put that toe. Well, over that line. Not the toe. We don't bring up toes. <laughs> he put that big toe. Wait. Big toes <laughs> are fine. The second toe. <laughs> Is your second toe longer than your big toe? Not anymore. It's not even there. Oh, that's the one that was cut? Yeah, yeah. my left Damn foot. Damn it. My second toe. I fucked up my own joke. Oh. Mm-hmm. Ooh, I'm... I was going to say, Josh is going to be into this. Tiptoeing through an ancient crypt, <laughs> and I hear a roar. Or it's early morning in Austin, Texas, and you're going to come and... <laughs> and I'm kicking you out of my me. hotel Oh, yeah. <laughs> You've sniffed enough of this hole. Get out of here. <laughs> oh. <laughs> You cheeky cheeky. That's right. Oh, double That's cheeks. what I say, cheeky cheeky. <laughs> Spread it. I was going to try to come up with another rhyme yeah. and I just stopped. Mm-hmm. Sorry. It's hot in here. So I can't remember. Can I take a step? Can't remember what that string <laughs> instrument is called, oh. but it's kind of like a mandolin maybe is what I'm mm-hmm. thinking. Um, it's a lot of mandolin. It's the kind of thing if you're watching a it's movie, like Lord of the Rings. movie about the medieval times, that's the type of music. It's like green sleeves. Yeah. Yeah. That kind of music. <laughs> so she had like kind of a, a mix 
playlist for us, and it was great. That's it was cool. so fun. We had like that sounds fun. It sounds very immersive. I like that. Oh, it was because it was an in person event, so oh. we had planned it. But yeah, and you can do it remotely. Like we all bought our own dice and stuff. Like for Tecla's birthday, I got her her own D and D dice set. That's cool. It's fun. Fun times. It's fun. It is fun. That was fun. It was fun to hear about. I think everyone will be surprised that I'm the one that's into D and D. Yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. We're weirdos, not one. nerds. Hey, <laughs> I am a nerd. Yeah, <laughs> through and through. Whew. Yep. It's 90 degrees. Oh, okay. It feels like it. It is. Partner Rebecca. 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 <laughs> God, I'm so. <laughs> the other call. I'll put it up in there. Like, uh, you just, like, just don't, don't care. care. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's right. We're a bunch of goobs. General area until 11. <clears throat> Damn it. you? Funky dunk. Funky dunk. <laughs> the only wind I like comes out of the hole in the middle. Oh, oh, <laughs> when you move the roast beef out of the way. <laughs> <laughs> I have a little butt roast beef. It's been through a lot. <clears throat> Anywho, it made no difference that the phone was irrevocably waterlogged. Okay, Bella Swan. Who? Oh, that's irrevo- <laughs> in Twilight, when, oh. she, when she says that word. She when, says irrevocably? Yeah, irrevocably in love. Oh. <laughs> Us. So fun. <laughs> so romantic, yeah. you guys. <laughs> Real sad. I hope I have a relationship <laughs> like that. <laughs> I've been too busy watching Love Island. She was asked if he... <laughs> <laughs> what if I spend none? You, you don't get, get anything. Back. Okay. Boy, you guys really responded to that like you were so tired of answering my questions. That was great. No. Perla- perlapse. 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 Uh oh, spread it. Pull it. Bop it. I was gonna say, was this a repair bop my thing? roast beef? <laughs> was that a dig at me? No, I'm, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. The moments detect. Just one moment. You didn't say the magic word. No, no, no. Would a dungeon master do that? It had only. <laughs> he waited for his day off before. Before. Beaver. Mm, I want Arby's. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know where we you can get some. Bring that out in you. Yeah, I mean he is and he's a, a theater, theater kid. kid. Yes, yeah. I just you know who I I'm just picturing right now, Alicia. <laughs> yeah. Yep, I knew it. <laughs> is he the Raven? Uh huh. Yeah. yeah, I love that guy. God damn it! You can do it. <sighs> you can do it. Thank you. But Cassandra's. No, you can't. <laughs> <laughs> Murder in the Rain is a Cascade Media production, written, hosted, and edited by Josh McCullough, Emily Rowney, and Alicia Holland. Feel free to email us at murderintherain at gmail.com or through our website, murderintherain.com. For as little as a dollar a month, you can subscribe on Patreon to get exclusive access to ad-free and older episodes. For only $5, you can access Patreon-exclusive episodes and content. For more of us, be sure to follow on all the socials, listen to Josh and Alicia on their other show, Always Be My Sisters, and follow Emily on TikTok at M underscore Murder in the Rain.
and suck my balls. 